Hi, I'm John Kerwin. Welcome to my podcast, Open Minded, the show all about mental well-being. Each episode, I interview experts and thought leaders to bring you the latest developments in the world of mental well-being. My guests talk about their personal well-being journeys and how they look after the well-being of themselves and their teams. Thanks for joining me. Let's get into it. Welcome to Open Minded. I'm John Kerwin. And today on the show, we're joined by Jason Tipatu. And uh, I've had some time with Jason before when we're in the middle of COVID during webinars. So I'm really excited to, to have him back on the podcast. Jason's CEO and founder of M3 Mindfulness, his mental well-being company bringing movement, Māori studies, and of course, mindfulness to classrooms, homes and boardrooms across New Zealand. He also learnt, launched a new app called Ha which delivers meditations and mindfulness practices in te reo Māori. How cool is that? Mm -hmm. And also English. We've featured some of his practices in our Groove app this month and wanted to bring him in and into the show to talk more about it and his great work improving mental well-being of New Zealanders. Jason, lovely to see you again. We had a bit of a, bit of a catch-up just before we jumped on air, um, but maybe just give our, uh, give our people a little bit of a, a background your background, your amazing story. Thanks, brother. Thanks, JK. First of all, thanks for having me uh, on your podcast. Uh, long-time fan and, and follower, brother, and, uh, and I want to say how um, how I really support and, and total everything that you do in the mental health space. I believe we need more rangatira like you, uh, especially me and A speaking about this, this mental well-being. Uh, so where am I from? I papa to three uh, different iwi. <clears throat> I acknowledge them because I was uh, raised by my grandparents. It was a really choice upbringing that uh, although we lacked you know, money, was more than made up for with love and aroha and support for everything that me and my little brother wanted to do when we were raised by our grandparents. Uh, so I, when I acknowledged my papa, I acknowledged my nan and my koros iwi, their tribes, and then also uh, my mum's iwi. So yeah, like I said, I was brought up in uh, by my grandparents in Whanganui. Uh, it was a really awesome upbringing. Uh, got to do everything that I wanted to do. I got to go to a, a really good school. Um, Whanganui Collegiate and won a scholarship to go there and so I was one of three Māori there actually the other two Māori are, are, were and still are really good friends they were my best mates when I was at school <clears throat> and so I I felt to be honest bro I felt like when I was going to school though it was an amazing education and stuff I felt uh, at times like I didn't belong because mm. I was you know one of few brown faces in the mix and I, I suppose that's kind of been my uh, and this is by no means a pity story that's kind of been my yeah story really is that I've, I'm oftentimes in places where I feel like I don't belong I'm oftentimes especially in this mental well-being space in a corporate setting for example where I'm one of very few brown faces or Māori faces. I sit on the board, for example, for the uh, for Exercise New Zealand. And 
I'm one of only two brown faces representing um, our people, you know, our Māori and, and Pacifica people, I include them as well. And it doesn't make sense to me that in the wellbeing space, uh, space, and by the way, there's more and more now these days, but in the wellbeing space, there's not many people, Māori Pacifica, at the top end, speaking to corporate, speaking to boards about uh, about well-being when our people, Māori and Pacifica, are overrepresented in all of the health statistics, you know, for uh, diabetes, for heart disease, all of that mental health, you know, we've talked about this before, the mental health, our Māori men are, are the highest representation in male suicide. Uh, our youth suicide, we're overrepresented by Māori youth, particularly, and those statistics. So, yeah, like I said, I'm often, I often find myself in a room where I'm one of very few brown people. And my great auntie, Tariana Turia, said to me, boy, you know, get used to that feeling. <laughs> get used to that feeling because <clears throat> in generations to come, without you being at the table, then there won't be any other people in future generations, you know. Like, I, it may just be me or another person on the board of Exercise uh, New Zealand, for example, but in generations to come, there might be five, six, seven, ten board members or the whole board <laughs> being represented by our people. So, uh, yeah, I had a choice upbringing and then went on to university to study law. I did a bit of performing Actually, I've dabbled in a few areas, but I feel like right now, getting back to your intro, I feel like right now I'm living into my full purpose. Right now, with M3 Mindfulness Mahi, I feel like I'm doing exactly what I, I was put here on this earth to do, to work with um, families, communities, especially in the education communities, um, to help them with their mental health and well-being and their resilience at a time when we need it the most. I think that's, that's really interesting because often people, like I had no excuse to be unwell, right? I had no excuse to be depressed or, you know, you know my story about wanting to jump out of a window one night. Mm. And people ask me nowadays and I say it's not prejudice, you know. Mental health is not prejudice. And you and I in the past have spoken about, you know, especially my shark, you know, my dumb shark, my guilt shark, my imposter shark. But this feeling of not belonging, mate, you had beautiful, um, you had a beautiful upbringing with lots of love, but you still had a couple of sharks. Was not belonging one of those? And did it have to do seriously, like, what, what, was it race? Was it minority? Was it against Māori? What, what or, or were they two different issues that actually forced you, um, you know, to really look into yourself and, and suffer like I did? Oh, man, that's a great question. Yeah, because, uh, well, I think I should go back because there was a piece that I've shared with you before when we spoke last year. There was a piece that I missed out. Uh, my grandparents who I was brought up with, my little brother, uh, my father's parents. So they're my paternal grandparents. And my father was, uh, he was around, but, he went and had another family and I think one of my sharks, not I think I know, one of my sharks is not worthiness or not adequate enough. 
My father went and had another family and didn't take me and my little brother with him. So is that there was that sense of, oh, 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 am I not worthy enough that you're not going to take me to be with your family? So that, along with that shark of not feeling worthy, along with being a minority in uh, in a essentially white school, just exacerbated that sense of not worthiness, which turned into not belonging. And uh, I have actually used that not belonging now, as we often do with our sharks, say, as a uh, as a as a real gift. And I know that I can make people belong. <laughs> I know that I can create uh, events or wānanga or places and spaces where people feel like they belong straight away. They can walk in and feel welcomed and feel taken care of. And um, so, you know, to your question, not belonging still is with me. It's still with me, but it doesn't. Uh, cripple me like it perhaps did when I was at school you know there were moments at school where I I I really truly did not feel like I belonged and I just wanted to leave <laughs> uh, and one of them was when I tried to study te reo Māori at school and they wouldn't let me because no way. yeah because uh, Latin and back then in the in the 90s late 80s Latin and French were the only subjects at that private school uh, and uh, that, that they were teaching and, and I cooked up such a stink. My auntie Tariana Tariya actually helped me with this. Uh, she was, has always been a rat bag and I think I've got that in my blood as well. I kicked up such a big stink and I'm not saying that I'm to blame for this but now that school has a beautiful um, immersion section. <laughs> it has a full uh, Māori uh, Hapuri then now, so you know, I'd like to, I'd like to feel like I had something to do with that was the beginning of introducing Maori fully into the school. And there's a, you know, there's a big percentage of Maori at that school, way more than just three. <laughs> well done, led the way. Did you ever want not to be Maori? Oh wow, that's a big question. No, I was always really proud of my roots. Such an interesting question, though, and something I want to uh, speak to is that, you know, at times, especially at that school, I felt too brown to fit in. And then because I was going, I had the privilege of winning a scholarship and going to, a, a you know, an elite school like that, at times I felt too white, you know, mm-hmm. to... Uh, I, there was a comment, it was just a joke, but it really stuck with me. Oh, oh you're flash now, you're flash Māori by one of my cousins because I was going to a, you know, to a posh school. Mm-hmm. And that really stuck with me. I was like, oh, okay, so I feel, you know, simply put, maybe too white to be Māori and then too brown to fit in at school. And that was my own personal struggle, but um, but that sent me into a space of, really what you alluded to earlier of, of getting to know and appreciate and love myself from within. Uh, and that's been my whole, my whole adulthood, really. <laughs> how do you, I mean, we, we how we talk about, um, I talk, I, I remember having a beautiful conversation with two um, 
rangatira from Tamaki Makauro, and they said to me, you could never underestimate the importance of our young Māori youth completely connecting with basically te whara like yeah. the land, mm-hmm. their spirituality, um, where they came from, because it's very difficult for a Pakeha, um, just because of the way we've been brought up, um, to sort of understand how that could be so important for our our Māori youth, um, you know, mental health. So what was that? What was that life boy for you that you hung on to going through these struggles around Māoridom and how important Te Reo is in that journey? I mean, how how amazing! You must feel incredibly proud, and I hope you do. That now Wanganui Collegiate has one of the best Te Reo um, and way more. Um, you know, Māori and Pacifica. So that that's a beautiful goal for you. But you know, if you're talking to your young thirteen or fourteen self, and you don't you don't feel completely Māori, and or you feel like a flash one, or you know, how how what would you say to a youth that's listening to this? Hey, bro, this is what you need to do. Childer, brother. Well, can I speak to it from the lens of we have a within my uh, mindfulness program, we have a program called Te Reo Tuakiri. And so this is what I mean is that I took my shark and I've turned it into something that can help others. And te reo tuakiri means the language of one's true identity. And that's the name of the program. And essentially, we're teaching rangatahi youth to stand in their mana, to stand in who they really are, not who they think they should be for for society or for their parents or for the school, for their teachers. And the first thing that we do is to get them to unpack their whakapapa. Now, this can be triggering for some. I'm, I'm answering your question in the way of this is my pathway and the pathway that I did for my own personal journey. And, and what I would say to my 13 um, your old self would be what I'm essentially uh, explaining about our program and that is to go back to where you are from uh, there's a f- beautiful whakatauki that I can't I, ca- I can't remember now off the top of my head in te reo, but it basically says in order for you to know who you are you must first know where you come from and so the first part of our program is unpacking where you are from. And this can be quite triggering for some youth today who are especially uh, urban Māori or urban Pacifica who, were, mm. who don't have any link to their culture. And so we encourage them to go and do rangaho or research and go home and ask their parents or their caregivers or or speak to their grandma or their grandfather about it. Uh, and it's been such a real uh, or healing for me as well as I've been facilitating this for some kids. Like, for example, we're at Papakura High School, uh, which is you know mostly Māori, Pacifica and Desile One. And some of those kids didn't know their background. So they went away and over the course of three, four weeks, they've unpacked that, gone home, did some research with their parents and their whanau and their ainga. And they've come back just lit up, like, oh, now I know where I'm from. I know I know what, if 
they're from Samoa, for example, I know where my village is, I know the name of my village, I know even know the name of my chief, and there's that sense of real uh, ownership, you know, of owning it, owning who you are, of pride. Uh, and so you see them standing taller, you see them being more confident. So whenever they, every session, beginning, end of our session, we get them to stand and speak about their emotions. And if I could use an example, most of the kids in our first session were like this, hair over their face or hoodie on or beanie on, not wanting to look up. But now they're standing up with pride, owning it, owning their real, speaking more real for those Māori who are in the group. It's just a sight to behold. So to answer your question, what would I say to my 13-year-old self? I would say keep, stay strong to papa for me. Like I, I've just, we talked about this before we jumped on this podcast. So I, I've spent my whole adulthood reclaiming my papa, relearning it, relearning te reo, which is why I wanted to share these real practices because it's become such a big part of me reclaiming who I truly am. Can you re- rebuild mana? And I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I know that um, let's say that some of our youth have done some dumb shit. We all did dumb shit, but some some shit dumber than others. So they might have got in trouble with the law. They might have done some dumb shit. You know, can you can we teach them to rebuild that mana? And because you can start again, but sometimes these youngsters feel quite desperate. And if you're a parent and your kid's done something dumb, what what would you do around rebuilding that mana? Children. Well, you know, it's that sense of <clears throat> fucker papa again, that sense of coming back to where you're from. Like, if I could say that this group that we are working with at Papa Kura High, they're the exclusion and stand down kids, uh, which means that they're on their last chance before they get kicked out of school. So they are those kids that you, your words, have done some dumb shit. <clears throat> and so to answer your question, yes, absolutely, you can rebuild mana. Absolutely. And it's reconnecting in the instance of the kids that we're working with, it's reconnecting them back to who they are. Reconnecting them and reminding them that they belong to a beautiful lineage of amazing tupuna who travelled <laughs> via waka across the seas, you know, with only the guidance of the stars to go and inhabit the Pacific Islands and eventually Aotearoa. So our ancestors, we come from a long lineage of amazing leaders who did amazing things. And that's essentially what Te Reo Tuakiri is about, is reminding them of their DNA. And so to see so, them build, build their mana back up has just been amazing. I think that's I think that's so important to explain to our youth. You know, yesterday's gone. You have control of today, and that's going to shape your tomorrow. You know, I think those things are, are really important. The the so M three mindfulness. The three M stand for mindfulness, movement, and Maori studies. What do you What do you think? Changing tact here. What do you think? Um, you know. The, the beauty of those three things together does? 
Was there also two questions? Was there a mindfulness in the history of Māori dinam? You know, if you do te, te whāratapa whā, that is basically what I would call, you know, at, at, at Groove, you know, that's our six pillars. That's my daily mental health plan. So was there mindfulness in the past and why are those three things together so important for you, do you think? Kia ora, thank you. Yeah, I, the, well, first of all, the idea of mindfulness is, you know, what most people would think is from an Eastern culture background, but we've spoken about this before as well. Lots of Indigenous practices or Indigenous Yes, practices are, are spiritually based, you know, just right throughout the world. When I have spoken to my native Indian friends, they have similar practices to what we do in, in Te Ao Māori. In Te, in te Ao Māori, you might say that mindfulness, and I do when I speak to corporates or I speak to teachers about this, uh, we have three practices within uh, Te Ao Māori that, that are very similar to all the practices that we use in um, in mindfulness. And the first one is ha, which is why I've called my app ha. Ha is breath. It's the thing that brings us into the moment. It's the thing that make, uh, brings us, anchors us into the present moment uh, and all those different breath practices that are related. Tikanga. Tikanga, uh, most people would know as customs uh, or the things. Tika actually means the correct way to do something. So in order to do something that is correct through the lens of the Māori, you have to be present. <laughs> For an example of that, I always use this, is when you arrive at a marae, you can't just walk on if you've never been there before. Tikanga suggests that you have to go through the pōwhiri or if, it's a, uh, if you're there just for a short day, so you must go through the customs, the correct processes and procedures before you go on. And so therefore you must be present in the moment in order to adhere to tikanga. And then karakia. Karakia to me is like uh, a meditation practice as well. Uh, I have karakia that I do at the beginning and the end of the day. I have karakia when I do kai. So all of those practices are very similar to mindfulness practices. And all of those practices, ha, karakia and tikanga, you must be present uh, in order to practice those. So, yeah, all indigenous practices that I know of uh, have a, a very um, a very well aligned with the practices of mindfulness and meditation and yoga. You're a performer. And we'll, t we'll get into that a little bit later on. Um, did you, I did this, so it's a pretty solid question. I used to act well when I was unwell. So as an actor, would you act being someone else? And was that making you unhappy? Someone said to me the other day, and I wrote it down, I thought it was so beautiful. And that it said to me, um, you, are, you will never be happy when your values right, are uh, actually not aligned with your actions. And when I think about my unwellness, I was faking stuff, trying to be someone I wasn't. Did you, were you acting a lot of the times and how did you realize that and then make peace with the real you? Kia ora. Oh, that's a beautiful question, man. And I might get that off you, were you acting well? 
Yes. You know, uh, if you had asked me that even four or five years ago, I would have felt ashamed to admit that. Again, yeah. acting, trying to act as though, oh, no, I've got it all together. Uh, but I think my biggest healing started when I really owned my shit. Yeah. And, and really, and really, uh, you know what? Started to look at the shadow parts of me. Because, you know, there was a... Um, and I think that's why I wanted to put out this Te Reo Tuikiri program for Rangatahi is to start this work early because as an adult, as, as, as you know, only six, seven, eight years ago, even having done up until then 13 years of yoga and meditation, I would still tell people I'm all good. I'm all good. Yeah, I'm good. Look at me, be good post a photo on Instagram, yeah, I'm awesome, my life's great, when really broken on the inside or, you know, falling apart or in a deep, dark hole. Um, and just today I posted a a, um, a a post, actually, just about how we all go through it. And I talked to my mate, uh, Paul Wood, who we both know on the plane the other day, about how when, when you're speaking, you know, to corporates or to or to schools about well-being, there's this idea that people think that you're always well. There's this idea that people think that you're, um, you've, all, you've got all the tools in your kit to be able to deal with your shit. And uh, the truth is I don't. In fact, I have to do all of my daily practices to even just have some modicum of, you know, groundedness before I can go out there and do my mahi. So I'm all about sharing, not in a victim way, but sharing when I'm when I'm not good now. Because if that can help, when I shared today, I had all these comments from people going, "Oh, thanks, man. I really, I really needed to hear that and to hear that from you." One person even said, "I, you know, I would assume that you're always peaceful and you're always good," and you and I both know that's bullshit. <laughs> that's the search, you know, like. Um, that is the search, and I think that that here's another one for you. We've got something in common that's not that great. Um, we both snapped our Achilles. Ah, yeah, we do, we did. Now, the interesting thing for me, and you know, I was reading about yours, and we spoke about it before. Um, mine was right in the middle of my mental health issues. Eh, I was just wondering whether it's connected, but I'd like to hear your story because that's how you got into the physical side of actually. Staying well, we've been talking about mindfulness and stuff, but um, you know, your story. Do you think it was mental or physical or a combination? Because they say that now mental health manifests physically, right? So I was really interested. I'm thinking, man, and I didn't put it together till I was reading and and spoke to you again. You know, like, wow, I snapped my Achilles right in the middle of my depression. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, I like. I have said in the past that my mental health, my lowest of lows, was after snapping my Achilles, like directly after where I was plunged into this whole, what am I going to do? I can't use my body anymore, etc., etc. But to be honest with you, in reflection, it started way before that. And the snapped Achilles, to your point, was totally a manifestation of this. Of the state of my mind and 
yeah, man, I, if, when I look back at that time, I just was not happy. <laughs> I was not happy. Well, I went to the doctor. I don't know if I shared with you last time, but that, the day of going, of snapping my Achilles, I was on a show in South Africa, and <laughs> I went to the doctor, and well, first of all, I've always been an A-type personality and always wanted to strive and always wanted to be the best at everything that I did. And the cost of that was I never, this is back then, never listened to the signs of my body, never listened to, I never really listened, full stop, to be honest. I was always go, 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 100%, give it everything you got, smash everyone, smash everything. You know, everything was an athletic endeavor, everything was a, something to be won. That, that obviously came from the place of not feeling worthy <laughs> and trying to prove my worth. I, I giggle at that these days. Uh, but uh, that day I went to the doctor, I had a sty on my eye, I was deaf in one ear, my ear was blocked, and I had coltals all over my mouth. And the doc, I was like, Doc, I've got, until, I've got to do this show until the end of this week, just give me something to get through. I don't even know what I was expecting the doctor to give me. But I was like, just hurry up, get, you know, I've got to get back on stage tonight. He said to me, bless him, Whatever you're doing, man, you just need to go home and sleep. That's my prescription for you, because your body is exhausted, and I don't know any other signs that you need to tell you that you're exhausted. Go and rest. I didn't listen. <laughs> and I went to work that day and ripped my Achilles. And this was back, I think, around the same time as you, uh, where you had to be in a cast for 12 weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's me, 12 weeks of hell. Yeah, yeah, plunge into depths of depression and, and uh, but I, I call it a pivot point because it really pivoted my life, you know, it sent me on a different pathway altogether. It's a sign, right? Sometimes we need to listen. I was the same. I just didn't listen to my body that was actually telling me, man, you're anxious. You, you, you're having anxiety attacks. You're ignoring them, you know. And I think the effort that it takes when you are like that mentally takes a toll on your body, right? So you're doubling up on the effort. Um, we've, we've seen some, um, some really stupid things this, this week in the paper. And I won't go into depth because it's in the paper every day. And and it never ceases to amaze me. But, um, you know, this month at Groove, we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And I know you've done a lot of work in this space. And, you know, I had a, I did another podcast the other day. And, and I talk about middle-class white, you know. I'm middle-class white. You know, how do we actually, in your opinion, break down and, and really started having genuine inclusion around diversity and, you know, minorities and stuff. What, what does it look like for you? Kia ora. Well, can I say what it's not? Yeah, that's Let's a good, good yeah, I like that. I'm going to write it down. Diversity inclusion is not asking the Māori in the room to do a karakia before your meeting. Diversity and inclusion is not is not ticking a box. Oh, we'll have some Māori this week and then never again. Or for this month, for example, you know, like I know you guys have got that kaupapa. It, it's, it's, 
implementing it in a way that makes everyone feeling well included you know and can I also say from the other end of the scale from you know uh, someone who's still on their tereo journey me is that it's like more and more I'm seeing real real experts speaking samario and then translating it so that the Pākehā in the room can understand it. Does that make sense? So it goes both ways. Yep. And, I, and I've been doing that myself too. That's why the practices that I've been giving Groove are bilingual, so that if you're on your journey of learning te reo, here's something for you. You've got the instructions in te reo. But if you're a te reo speaker, then you, you've got the translations in English, you know. So... Yeah, it's also not asking a Māori person to be on your board <laughs> so that you can tick a box. That's not what it's that's not what it is. I really think it's uh it's definitely honouring our whenua here, where we are from. It's speaking to the Māori about how they can be included in the conversation. It's not it's not just choosing one person going Oh, you'll do. You know enough. You know somebody else. So we'll just use you as the representative. Uh, is that helpful? You know, that's a, yeah. That that's exactly how it is. Because I hate I hate people ticking boxes around uh, well-being. You know, it's the same gig. You know, I spoke to someone the other day. Um, you know, big business. And they say mental health. You know, mental health well-being is a strategic pillar. But we've got no budget. Well, no, it's not then. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Like you got heaps of budget for your PR and heaps of budget for your other strategic stuff, but you got no budget for it, mate. Please don't say it because you're offending me because I'm worried about our stats. You know. Yeah. Not only that, but I, when when a CEO says that to me, I'm like, it's not even. It should be your number one budget. Yeah. It should be your note. If you don't have well people, they're not going to do a good job. <laughs> yeah, but I, mean, no, I, I still think that we've got a lot of work to do around, you know, um, what you're talking about, diversity. Like you say, don't tick a box. You know, this is actually about um, giving minorities a decision on the board. You know, they're in charge of something, not for the, not, not, not the karakia, right? So. Yeah, you got it. And then, so they should be involved in the decision making around what diversity and inclusion looks like. Sorry, that's the piece that I missed. Because oftentimes they're bought in once the initiative is done. Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, we're going to have diversity week. Let's bring in the Maori and let's let's get them organised. Blah 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 blah. But they should be at the table to decide what diversity and inclusion week even looks like. Jace, I was, and this has just popped in my head because you know how my monkey brain works sometimes. You know some of the some of the connection you've made with you know the the, the young um, students you're working with out in Mangari, um, you know, getting their mana back. Have you noticed dealing with other um, you know countries that have maybe had the similar background to us? So you know, African American youth, other. Are the problems similar and, and, and do they need to get back in touch? You know, would, would an African-American that might be struggling, would he have to get back to where he's come from in Africa and all that sort of stuff? Have you done any work on that sort of stuff? Because that intrigues me if, if there's real similarities across these things. 
Kia ora. I, I can't really speak to uh, what's going on internationally, but I can speak to what's been shared with me, absolutely. So I was involved with a company called the Contentment Foundation, and they uh, have branches around the world. And one of the uh, arms is in New York, New York City, equivalent to Decile One here in Aotearoa, and mostly black youth at a school in New, uh, New Jersey, New Jersey, I think. Doesn't matter where it is, but just in, you know, specifically, but it's in New York. And uh, what they said is that they had white facilitators. And uh, at first, and the black kids just were not engaging. The moment that they took in, and that makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. And I was like, why did you even start with that? What did you even think about yeah, that? Yeah, why were you even thinking about that? And then and then they took in their uh, facilitators who are from that area. And uh, straight away, the kids were engaged. They were into it. That, no, that's a no-brainer. And what they found is that talking about um, Black Lives Matter, you know, that was yeah. a big topic, talking about their ancestry and where they came from uh, unleashed, similar to what's happening in South Auckland with our program, unleashed this other side of the kids where they were like, oh my gosh. It got them connected, simply put. It got them connected to their whakapapa. It got them connected to their... Uh, to wanting to know more about their... Um, their generations before and so when they went back some of the students they discovered that you know their grandparents had been slaves and so there was some triggering from that information that had to be worked through but essentially what that at the end of the program what that meant is that these kids never ever wanted that ever to happen for any future generations to become so their leadership their mana essentially was restored and they uh, and they went on to be you know school leaders in the community afterwards so to answer your question i think i think the issues are different in each country yeah i mean i think that a program that would help aboriginal youth to rediscover their papa would be both triggering, perhaps at first, but then enriching. You got to prepare for the triggering, right? Hundred percent. Um, tell me. So, um, you know, you're a business speaker. You've you, you've got your you, you know your high ha app. You've got doing some amazing stuff. How did you cope with COVID, bro? <laughs> Man, I tell you what. The first one when the whole country was locked down all at the same time before the uh, the lighting systems came in, which is confusing to me, by the way. Uh, I loved it, right? I really did. We had choice weather, and it was an opportunity for me anyway at that time to just chill. Uh, one of the things is that it's still recovering A-type personality, I call myself that. Um, <laughs> I love that. A recovering A-type person. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
which just means I'm still a type personality. It just manifests differently to what it did when I was younger because I'm slower and all that. Uh, it, it it made me just chill out. You know, it gave me quiet. It gave I yearn for quiet time. We were talking about that. that. Yeah. Uh, and it's much needed. So that's what the first lockdown did. I hated the second one, man. Yeah, I hated it. I just, I was naughty and that I would go for as many walks as I could. I may have even driven around just to get out of the house. Uh, and I've had COVID. So I had COVID about six weeks ago. And that, and that also was triggering for me. Uh... Interesting. Um, the, the, I've heard, I've heard just quietly that you are about to be in a Te Reo language dub of The Lion King. Ah. I know they did, uh, they've done some, Disney have done some stuff, Moana. Yeah, yeah. Incredibly successful and, and you're going to do that. So acting, voiceovers, is that something that, that really inspires you? You know, that was one that it just came out of the, I came out of retirement for that. <laughs> Say that. So at the beginning of this, we talked about I've done lots of things but I feel like they've all come together they intersect to what to the pathway that I'm on now all the skills that I have in my kitty and one of them was yeah it was performing and I got to travel around Australia in some shows and one of them was The Lion King this film coming up is in Tiro and it's such a beautiful speaking about uh, belonging it's such a beautiful uh, tool, I suppose, for our young tamariki mokupuna Māori to, to have a movie that's as big as a Disney movie in our own language. It's that sense of really belonging. You know, it's, it's a beautiful movie in English, but in our own language, with our own... Uh, voices with our own people is is something like i'm really proud of it i'm really proud of being a part of this because i wish i had this when i was young oh wow yeah hey this that if we're talking about sense of belonging it's it's these kids get to go oh wow this story can be in our language you know uh yeah and i'm yeah i'm i'm the part of banzai who's one of the baddies <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the hyenas, so I, I get to and with with the uh, with the line that everyone knows, Mufasa. When Wookie Gobu's character goes, say it again, he goes, Mufasa. <laughs> that's me. That's me. That is so cool. Uh, Thanks, bro. Like Te Reo is such a beautiful language. I mean, I've been very fortunate um, that I I've never spoken English to my children. So um, my wife um, brought them up. And with their native Italian language, but um, you know, movies like The Lion King were fundamental in their growth. As far as, and you know what kids are like. I mean, they watch it four hundred times. Yeah, <laughs> it's not as if they watch it and get sick of it. They watch it four hundred times. So, I mean, um, you know, I think that's so important for a language like Te Reo, which is really, really taking shape. I spoke actually to Dom who helps me here and he said, you know, he's been away seven or eight years and he said coming home made him really, really proud to actually see Te Reo used so much more, you know? Yeah, me, uh, me too, bro. I, I got home six years ago 
from Australia, having lived there for 11 years, I was gobsmacked that there, like, the way that I can sum this up is the six o'clock news. Simon Dello, I remember, was doing it back then, and maybe Wendy Petrie. And they, the first thing they said was, Dear Nakoto, as, as not, Good evening, welcome to 6pm news. It was, it was te reo. And it's just gone from strength to strength to strength, and you have such amazing champions of the language. You know, I studied Māori when I started studied law at university uh, in the early 90s. And even my grandparents, you know, who were native speakers, were like, oh, I, I, I really dissuade you from studying te reo because it won't get you a job. And, you know, lots of people were saying that to me. Oh, even my teachers from school, from Monganui Collegiate, they were like, oh, I, I wouldn't study that. You know, you're not going to get anywhere with that. It'll be a nice thing to do, but, you know, it's a waste of time. Well, that's well, bull. That's bull. <laughs> Now. Yeah, how um, good is that? Yeah, how how good? And I think um, the really interesting thing about Italian and, and Maori is is they both have the same vowels and both have the same sentence structure. So a e e o u, and we say uh, Sunday last, not last Sunday. Yeah. yeah. So same, so, we do too. Yeah, the the uh, adjective is after the noun. Yeah, and it and Kyoto in Italians, what's the time? No way! Yeah, kia ora. <laughs> yeah. So, three o'clock, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so cool, eh? Hey, listen, just um, so you know how passionate I am about um, changing the dialogue around around mental health and just making it part of our every day. And um, so at Groove, we talk about the six pillars of well-being, but I just talk about um, you know being in your groove. So I just want to ask you, you know, what you do. So there's six things, which six pillars we talk about that make up being in your groove. So what do you do to chill? Things just to relax. Kilda, bro. I, oh, the first thing I would do, like, example, last week, I had a really full-on week in schools and traveling, is uh, a bath. That's the thing. You know, I stayed at the Cordis in Auckland a couple of weeks ago and they have amazing spa. So anything that's spa-like or um, a, a, a hot bath, I'm, I'm down. I'm down for that straight away. Um, mindless telly sometimes. Like, I don't watch television. I, I've, I've decided to switch off from the news and, I, and only because... Most of the news is bad news, and I don't want to uh, infiltrate my mind with that stuff. That's just my choice. And I know that if it's news that I need to know, someone's probably going to tell me. <laughs> uh, so quiet is the biggest thing. I'm in my meditation room, and I, and I come in here and just close the door and lie down on the floor or lie with my head on my... I've got a beanbag in the corner, and... Luckily, it's got all-day sun, so it's my way of replenishing too. Lying in the sun is one of my favourite things to do with no noise. Uh, those, those are my two go-tos. I think uh, the next one is a really, a really interesting one. So this is your do, using your mind and being creative. And, and Jace, I, I've got some real issues with my phone. Um, I've got real issues with interruptions in my life to get 
away from our do and being creative. So how do you actually use your mind and keep that creativity going? Yeah, kia ora, bro. I I have an issue with my phone too. Mm. Uh, in that, you know, I don't have notifications. Uh, I don't, but I still look at my phone. Like it's I'm like, oh, who's, who's emailed me or... Uh, on social media, what is so-and-so up to, blah 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 And I talked about this before we jumped on the cause, like I even give myself an embargo and go, okay, no, I've got 10 minutes and then my phone's going to turn it off, but I still go on my computer and look at it on my computer. You know, I find another way. Uh, I have to schedule in creative time, to be honest, because if it's in my schedule, for some reason, my schedule is the thing that I stick to the most. So if it's in my schedule, I I will block out, I call it buffer time. And in the buffer time, I can be creative. And I've got butcher paper. And one day I didn't have any butcher paper, but I like, I'm a visual learner. So I have to have things up on the wall. Or if I've got a whiteboard, I'll just go crazy on the whiteboard. I didn't have any butcher paper I, once. Yeah, I didn't have any butcher paper once. And... I went down to the supermarket just around the corner and got like wrapping paper and mm -hmm. used the back of the wrapping paper, taped it up on the wall and then just started writing. Uh, I have to schedule in those times. That's but, okay. Yeah, it's great. And then I just put it up on the wall if I have to see it, cause, uh, at big picture. How do you stay connected, stay in touch with people that matter? Kia ora. You know, the other day I said to my mate, I'm at an age where quality friends is what I'm after. You know, over my over the years I've met so many people and some people want to be my friends that are just not, not aligned with my values. So it's I'm less about texting and more about quality time picking up the phone or face-to-face -face now that we can do it more. Uh, so five five best mates as opposed to 50 acquaintances is what I'm all about these days. And it, it's all about better, fun conversations. Need to get better at that as males too, eh? You yeah, know? Kilda. Well, I don't need to talk to you about your, your moving because you, you, your, uh, your yoga and your mindfulness as you're getting up and about, that's still your go-to or have you added something? Oh man, I can, can I talk to you about that? People say, because, um, they think, because I'm a yoga teacher, I do yoga a lot. Well, to be honest, I don't. I don't actually practice the physical of yoga. I practice the mental, which is meditation and mindfulness practices, more than I do the physical. And, and that's just where I'm at. That's the season that I'm at in my, in my body at the moment. I do other things in my body, though. You know, uh, I, I, I do a little bit of CrossFit. Uh, I dance as well still i go to dance classes sometimes those are my physical ways and in the summer i like to swim so so yeah surprisingly i don't do much physical yoga these days what do you that's cool i mean sometimes it's your job i, I say this to people it's okay a, a lot of athletes you know when they when they become their dreams so they start um you know playing rugby or soccer or whatever as a job um, and then all of a sudden, a few years in, they're thinking, wow, this is my job, you know, I'm actually not doing it as much anymore. And that's okay. You just got to find 
something else. You've got to go searching for something else. So I sort of get that. What do you enjoy? Something just for you. What would be something if I, if I said, what do you enjoy and it's only for you? Kia ora. Reading. And here's the A-type personality again coming through, is that I have three books on the go at a time, and one of them is can be, or one of them is always audio, an audio book, and that's usually a, you know, uh, personal learning development one mm-hmm. that I can listen to as I'm traveling or listen to as I'm going from one place to another in the city or in my car. And then I've got a fiction and a non-fiction book on the go as well by my by my bedside table or carrying with me if I'm traveling to same how do you celebrate how do you reward yourself and new zealanders we've just been getting a whole lot of survey and data back that actually new zealanders and australians we're not good at actually celebrate we move on way too quickly yeah i i would agree and i i'm i'm definitely guilty of that i'm like thank you thank you thank you i say three thank yous and something happens go again next next goal <laughs> next what are we what are we going to do how do i celebrate Oh, I'm real simple like that. I tell other people who are, who who are uh, really close to me. I celebrate with other people. Uh, if it's big news, like if it's something that M3 has done, then I celebrate with the team, with my team. Nice. Uh, I just got engaged a couple of weeks ago, so that was uh, congratulations. Thanks, bro. Uh, so that was you know that was a dinner and a holiday, I think, to Fiji. Still, still talking about that. <laughs> beautiful, 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 beautiful. Um, some quick fire questions. What book are you reading? Uh, oh, Oh wow. Yeah, I'm rereading it. It's about from my mate uh, Rangima Tamua. About he's 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 essentially the reason why we've got a holiday during Matsuriki coming up in June. How cool is that? Yeah. Uh, I, I must read that book. I've, I've, um, I, I used to have a habit when I left New Zealand shores. I'd always buy a book on our history, um, and I think I've said this before. Two Worlds by Jane Salmon blew my socks off because I, well, I didn't listen at school. I school at fifteen, so it probably wasn't their fault. But and to Fiti Orongamai. What a what an amazing story! So I suggest to people to start learning our own history. Um, yeah, what podcast are you listening to? Uh, Everyday Māori by Hemi Kelly. I'm I'm back on my real journey studying te reo every Tuesday night. And uh, yeah, Everyday Māori by Hemi Kelly is just s- simple snippets, words, phrases that everyone and anyone on any level can uh, participate in. Is that the hardest thing for te reo? Because the interesting thing about me when I learned Italian was I was in Italy and I'd I'd go and have a lesson and you know I've got learning difficulties but I'd go out and then I'd see those words or I'd hear them all around me I go oh okay that's ice cream or okay that's butcher or okay that's you know is that one of the biggest challenge for te reo? You know I can speak to that specifically our lessons at the moment are online and so I feel really isolated because I'm in I'm all about energy and I'm all about face to face and being able to ask questions when I can but when you're on a zoom with 20 people and you can go three hours where you're just listening. Like I'm not, out of all of the ways of learning, audio is not my way of learning. So I find it really hard, bro, to be honest. I have to I have to be immersed in it, like you, I think, said. 
is that I need to be around people, which is really hard when it's online. So mm-hmm. I go to breakfast, they're called parakuihi um, or kai korero, where you go and you have, uh, you go to a cafe, everyone knows the rules, you're not allowed to speak English, and you just speak te reo the whole way through breakfast which is really choice, because at the end, I feel like I've done three weeks' worth of online te reo lessons, you know. One of the, I, I don't know if I told you this before, but one of the one of the tricks that I learned was there's a, there's a, a musician called Lucio Battisti, and um, he sang really slow in Italian. So I used to get his songs, and I'd translate them so I knew every word, and then every time I jumped in the car, I saw him at the Corretto, Passato quel uomo di gelati, you know, like, but it actually really helped my uh, my Italian, you know, because there's so many beautiful Maori songs out there. I probably because I would like to learn more today, so I probably need to translate some songs and then, you know, I'll come I'll come to your cafe one morning. <laughs> or you know what, songs are the best and easiest way to learn to do. And there's some amazing artists out there like Maisie Dika, Rob Ruha, uh, Teek, Stan Walker, all of these amazing, uh, Rio Hall, who are doing music in Te Reo. And it's beautiful kaupapa that they're speaking about, but, you know, just to even hear it, listen to it in the car, sing along to it. It's, you know, Lion King as well when it comes out and just can't, can't wait to be king in Te Reo Māori or Circle of Life. You know, or Mufasa. can you feel that Mufasa? <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Give it to us. Like, can you remember a line you can share with us that 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 uh, that you from the Lion King? Can you remember? Koira tatui domai, which yeah. means that's what I heard. That's what I heard when Mufasa, when Scar at the end goes, oh. You know, you're my friends, you're my friends, but the, the hyenas, nah, nah, mate, you just, you just threw us in the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> Who should I interview next? Oh, bro, so many. Have you interviewed Nehe? Nehe. Skara. No, Nehe Milo Skara, no, I haven't. Well, he's doing some beautiful work in... Uh, in the mental health space cool. and in Maori, you know, wow. and and he's studying te reo Maori as well. So I, I think yeah, he's, he's. I saw a, him. I saw him on Sky, and it was really beautiful. And um, yeah, he's was, doing some beautiful stuff in that space. Tamati Ellison as well. He's I doing. Like yeah, Tamati is doing. He he was part of a corridor that I ran for uh, men during November, was it last year or the year before? But he's he's big in that space, speaking about mental health and wellbeing. Or there's, or there's two brothers who run a, um, they do national tours called Soften Up Bro. Soften Up Bro, nice. Which, you know, instead of Harden Up Bro. They, they, they're all about, you know, all the stuff that we've been speaking about, brother, especially in the mental health space for men, because they've had their own mental health issues, uh, and they just hold space for bros, you know, not just Māori and Pacifica, any brothers who are suffering. And because they're big units, they open up the space for, uh, dare I say it, you know, men, men, to come forward and speak. And it's men only. 
uh, and it's it's just an awesome space for men to open up about their stuff and some beautiful cordial have come from those evenings I've been a part of it too yeah Jace can I just thank you mate um I was I was relatively I was tired and a bit stressed today to be fair I've had a, a bit of a bit of an interesting couple of days I've I'm in you know generally in good shape but I'm a little bit like you I like to um when I'm not feeling great I think it's important just to say it because then you know when I'm well that I am well right but um this hour with you has given me peace oh, so thanks brother. I know that's hard sometimes when we're on on zoom but um I don't know whether it's your voice or your mana that you're projecting to me but you you gave me peace and I feel way better after this hour so Thank you, bro. I really appreciate it. I, and also, I want to thank you for your hour that you've given me for open-minded. I love talking to you because of the peace that you radiate, but also the knowledge that you share. So, kia ora, my friend. Yeah, thank you too, brother. As I mentioned at the beginning, you're such a leader in this space. And thank you for opening up the space for us to be able to speak openly about our stuff, eh? Because we all go through stuff and uh, you're the leader in this space. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Would you like to finish with a nice karakia for everybody and hopefully some international listeners that would like to feel the peace of a karakia, a prayer? Yeah, absolutely. He karakia kia tēnei, kia wairia te huarahi this is a karakia that clears the pathway for us all, no matter what it is that we have to do after you've listened to us here. Me karakia tātai. Kai te hora te marino, may peace be widespread. Kia Whakapapapoinamu te moana, may the ocean glisten like green stone. Hei huarahi, mā tātou katoa, for us all as we go forth on our pathway. Aroha mai, aroha atu. May we receive love and may we give love. Kite katoa, to everyone that we come into contact with. Homie, huie, taeki. Thanks, that was beautiful. Thanks, Jace. Thanks, man. Next time I see you, it'd be great to give you a great big hug. Um, we need to up, and I'm going to make sure we do that. All Thank right. you, my friend. Thanks, man. This has been Open Minded with John Kuhn. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to like and subscribe.